All right. Our uh, second scripture reading today comes, us, comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 17 and read verses 14 through 23. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1,525. Or if you prefer, you can uh, read off the, the monitors there. <clears throat> Matthew 17, verses 14 through 23. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find that they have the faith of a mustard seed. As we have been journeying through Matthew's gospel, we, we had come to this turning point where, where the focus had switched from a concern of the identity of Jesus to that of Christ's mission. If you recall, it was, it was Peter who had confessed Jesus as a Christ the Son of the living God. But immediately, immediately after Jesus told his disciples about his plan, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. For these disciples, this was a, a grim interpretation of the Messiah's role. One, one which caused Peter to, to take Jesus aside in order to rebuke him. But it was Peter who ended up being rebuked as Jesus told him that he did not have in mind the things of God, but, the, but, but rather the things of man. And that he and, and the other disciples, if they were going to follow him, that they also needed to stare death in the face as they would take up their own cross. Well, not long after that, Jesus took three of these men, Peter, James, and John, up a, up a high mountain where he was transfigured before him. He, he allowed them to see his unveiled glory, letting them know that he was God in human flesh and more than capable of completing his task. But as great and as glorious as that moment was, it was, it was short-lived. Christ had veiled himself once more, and, and they went back down that mountain. 
They were re-entering this fallen world where the, where the forces of darkness were ever-present. A world where the foreboding reality of the cross loomed ever before them. A world where their faith needed to grow if they were to continue on this journey with Jesus. And it was at the, the foot of this mountain that we see their faith challenged. Look at, look at our first verse. Look at verses 14 through 16. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. A fallen world indeed. A world where a demon oppressed a young boy, causing him to have these seizures and, and to throw himself in danger. A world where, where help was hard to come by and not even the disciples of Jesus could bring any rescue. This was the world that Peter, James, and John had descended upon. No longer were they on that mountain looking upon the glory of the kingdom. Rather, they were given a full view of the forces of evil. Powers that bring about destruction and defilement. These were the things that were on display. And it seemed that nobody could do anything about it. This scenario that we have jumped into is a textbook case of the devil's scheme. See, what you have to understand is that Satan will use the, the pain and the suffering of this broken world in order to cast doubt and, and unbelief both on God's strength and his willingness to use that strength. It is that age-old question that is ever before us. How can a good God, who is all-powerful, allow suffering to exist? This is the question that lies behind all those other questions that we ask. Why are there so many homeless on the streets? Why do children go hungry? Why did my brother get in that car accident? Why did my mother die of cancer? Why do I have to suffer the way that I do? Behind each of these questions lies a lack of trust in God Almighty. Dear friends, if, if you haven't learned this by now, then listen up. There are evil forces in this world that are working hard to destroy your faith. I mean, this is what Satan does. He, he takes the bleakness of life and, and he magnifies it, hoping that you'll place the blame on God and doubt in his goodness. For that is truly where unbelief stems from. It is that lingering thought that, that God doesn't really want what is best for you. And now here in our, in our story for, for today, we, we, we see the, the work of Satan on full display in this boy who, who had been tormented by this demon. And not even the disciples of Jesus could cast that demon out. Where is this mighty God who is supposed to be able to help? Shouldn't he have been able to, to, to work through his own men? Doesn't God care? 
If you recall, it was back in chapter 10 that Jesus had sent out the 12 with, with much of the same authority that he had. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And it's just a few verses later that, that we see Jesus commanding them to use that authority. Look, look at verses 7 and 8. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. And this is exactly what they did. They brought the kingdom to, to the world that was around them, all in Jesus' name. How were they able to do this? Because they were given the authority by Christ himself. And so when we, we come to this boy who had been tormented by this demon, these disciples, they should have had no issue casting that demon out. And yet, they could not heal him. Why? What went wrong? Jesus answers that question in our next verse. Look, look at verse 17. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. This was a rebuke not only on these disciples, but on the people as a whole. They were unbelieving and perverse. These two characteristics were what defined this generation. Now, unbelief is easy to describe. It is a lack of faith, a lack of trust. But Perversion is, is not as clear. The, the, the Greek word that is translated as perverse here is diastrepho. And it, and it means to distort, to misinterpret, to corrupt. These people, they were perverse in the sense in, in that they had twisted the, the truth of God that had become evident through Jesus and the kingdom that he brought. They had distorted what they knew to be true in order to fit their own worldview. In other words, along, along with their doubting, they, they perverted the truth, only choosing to see what they wanted to see. And so this perversion that Jesus was talking about, it was just another form of unbelief. Now, when we talk about unbelief, we, we typically think of what? Of who? Atheists, right? And sure, atheists, they, they fit the mold perfectly. But, but that is not who Jesus is dealing with here. He was speaking to Israelites and to his disciples, people who had espoused genuine faith in the one true God. And this is why we see such disappointment in Jesus' voice. How, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? What should have been easy for them to believe had become so difficult. But are we as Christians any different? Don't we often struggle with unbelief? 
And we, we typically do so in the same two ways. Either we doubt the power of God or we doubt in his goodness. The, the first is a lack of faith that God has the ability to overcome the, the evils of this world. The, the second, it is a distrust in God's character and his desire to do good. Let's, let's take a look at both of these. First, doubting the power of God. It, it is here where we think that the, that the forces of darkness are too strong and God is too weak. Unbelief such as this, it, it can manifest itself in a variety of ways, but the, but the most common is in a feeble prayer life. For, for when we doubt in the power of God or his ability to, to, to change anything, then we never really feel that, that urgency to go to him in prayer. I mean, what good is, is prayer if, if God is helpless to do anything? How is your prayer life? Do you believe that God can change outcomes? Let's, let's look at the second way that, that we can struggle with doubt, which Jesus calls perversion, where, where we as Christians challenge God's goodness. It is this kind of unbelief that is even more insidious than the first. For, for when we doubt in the goodness of God, we malign his character. For example, every time we, we take God's word and, and distort it to, to say what we want to say, what we are essentially doing is saying this. I, I don't trust you, God, in this one area. I don't think you're being good here. And so I'm going to read into your word my own meaning. How often do we distort the truth of the Bible because it, it doesn't fit into this little cocoon that we have constructed to, to keep us safe? Or how about this? Every, every time you sin, what you are consciously doing is saying to God that, that his way isn't what's best. That, that, that you know better than him what is good for you. Each and every sin is an argument against God's character. Do you see it? You, you don't have to be an atheist to doubt God. For even we as Christians have our moments of unbelief, moments of doubt. And this is, this is exactly why Jesus was saying about what he was saying about his generation, that they were both unbelieving and perverse. That the people of his day, including his disciples, were doubting either in God's ability or in his willingness to overcome the evils of this world. But when doubt lingers, when, when our faith is too weak, that's when Jesus steps in. Bring the boy here to me. Let's, let's see what Jesus did. Look at, look at verse 18. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment demonstrating both his willingness and his effectiveness, Jesus used his kingdom power to defeat the evil. And it only took a moment. This, this is what he does. 
He, he overcomes your biggest doubts and rescues you even when your faith is waning. It is during those moments when, when you cry out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, that he does just that. And the reason he does that is because he loves you. And the reason he can do it is because he truly is greater than the darkness of this world. This was a lesson that these disciples would have to learn if they were to continue and follow him. For they would need a, a stronger faith as Jesus made his way to the cross. But would they learn their lesson? Look at verse 19. When the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? These disciples, these, these nine who stayed at the bottom of the mountain, they were still unsure of what they did wrong. I mean, after all, they could do this before, so why not now? Look how Jesus answered them. Look at verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Because you have so little faith. Their faith was weak. Now, why would their faith be weak? I mean, they had done this before. They had both healed the sick and cast out demons. What was different now? Now, they knew of Christ's mission. Now, they, they knew of his plans to go to Jerusalem in order to suffer and be killed. And like Peter, who tried to rebuke Jesus, these men didn't see the wisdom in this, this folly, this plan of his. And because of this, they were beginning to doubt in their Lord. Their, their unbelief stemmed from their questioning of Jesus. I mean, did he really have their, their best interests at heart? Would he really be able to rise from the dead? These men were doubting Christ's judgment. And in so doing, they began doubting Jesus' ability to overcome the darkness of this world. You see, the, the obstacle that was in their way, this mountain that needed to be moved, was their inability to see God's glory through suffering. They wanted it the way it was before. This, this kingdom movement with the growing crowds and the, the emphasis on the power and the might of Christ. His ability to turn away the, the evils of this world. But this new focus upon which their Lord had fixated seemed to be moving in the opposite direction. This was a hard path. A path that looked grim. A path that seemed to lead to defeat. And the only promising word was this absurd notion of a resurrection. How could they put their faith in something like that? These men were doubting their master, but they needed to once again learn how to trust him. 
How often do we as Christians need to learn this same lesson? How often do we avoid the the difficult path that we are called to? I mean, we are constantly looking for this great victory, and yet we are not willing to suffer for Jesus. We want to see his kingdom come without any of the hardships or any of the pain. But we will never see the fruit because we are too afraid to do it his way. This attitude stems from our lack of faith, from our little faith. And unfortunately, just like these disciples, it affects our ministry as well. I mean, we want to convince people to come to Christ without bearing the reproach of the cross. We talk about God's love and his triumph without proclaiming his judgment upon sin. It's as if we are embarrassed about who God truly is. And so we, we lighten the message in an attempt to make God look more appealing. But all that this demonstrates is our lack of trust in God's message of salvation. And when we take such an approach, we become like those disciples who could not cast out the demon. Our ministry fails because our faith is so little. But, but if we have the faith of a mustard seed, if we will just trust in in his plan, even if we don't understand it, or even if we do, but we, we know that it will cause us hardship, if we just trust in his plan, then there will be no obstacle that cannot be removed. For not even the schemes of the devil can withstand the message of the cross. We are to have the faith, like the Apostle Paul who said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Implicit in this statement is that mustard seed of faith, that that God is both good and powerful. You see, Paul understood that, that Jesus and this message of the cross is where the power resides. That that Christ and his gospel could overcome the world and all that it threw at him. This is why he didn't try to change the message, or he didn't try to smooth it out. No. It says that he was unashamed. And he was unashamed because he trusted in God's goodness. No matter what evils came about, Paul looked to Jesus and the message of the cross to give him strength. How about you? Where do you turn when your faith is weak? Do you look to Jesus and the message of the cross, even though that path is a path of suffering? Or do you lose heart in your master and look for the easy way out? Are you of little faith, or do you have the faith of a mustard seed? It is no wonder that immediately after Jesus reminded his disciples of his mission. Look at our last two verses, verses 22 and 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, 
the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. This message was something that these men needed to hear, particularly if they were ever to grow in their faith. They, they had just witnessed Jesus doing what they were incapable of doing, for the power of the kingdom resides in him. And so not only must they listen to his words, but they must follow them as well, for only he has this kingdom authority. They must learn to trust in him once more. Not only in his ability to overcome evil, but that, that he is this good king who is leading them on the correct path. But these men had a ways to go, did they not? For, for what we read at the end is, is, that, is that their hearts were filled with grief. Sure, they were absorbing the message of Jesus' death, but they had yet to comprehend his resurrection. There was grief and no joy. And that is why they had so little faith. But you, you who, who live on the other side of the resurrection, you can listen to Jesus' words and you can find that joy. For you know that the, the, that the evil that resides in this world and the darkness that is in our own hearts has been overcome by the cross and that empty tomb. And that with a, a mustard seed of faith, you can see the victory of Jesus. And once you find that joy, once you find that victory, once your faith has been restored, it is then that you will see the kingdom of God manifest itself, not only in your life, but in your church and in your town, in your nation, in your world. Turn from your unbelief and trust in this Jesus. He has, he has the power to overcome the evils of this world because he is God in human flesh. And because of his love for you, he is actively doing so. This is who our Messiah is. He is God. A God who loves you. A God who is powerful. And he will overcome the world. Let us pray. Father, we believe in your goodness. We ask now that you help our unbelief. Help us to see clearly that that which is distorted. May your Holy Spirit help us to, to focus upon your Son, the one who defeated the darkness and brought to us light. Take away our doubts as we look to the cross and that empty tomb. Remove our grief and fill our hearts with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name.